Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. I am Jason Kong, but uh, man, the star of the show, Bill Alexander, is here. Bill, good morning to you. <laughs> You're funny, Jason. Good morning. Bill, this would be a really boring and uninformative show if it were just me. If it were Asset Protection with Jason Kong, we'd, we'd maybe have about two minutes we could fill and then well, hopefully a we, lot of music. Hopefully, after that. we can tell folks some things that might help them. You know, that's. That's what the show's all about, hopefully, is to give them wise and sage counsel as it relates to some of the things that they might do. Uh, of course, everything, you know, the problem is, uh, is that everyone is different and how the advice could affect them. Uh, it's it always goes back to that famous legal phrase. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Lawyers and economists. That's... Well, it it really does come down to um, uh, there's no such thing as one size fits all. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody is so different in terms of what their needs are and how uh, it uh, you know doing a particular thing can help them or hurt them and. And so the bottom line is, as much as we try to give good, uh, uh, you know, good information, um, it, people really do need to come see us uh, as to how that type of, uh, of advice can help them. That's what it's all about. But anyway, uh, you know, last um, week I, I started uh, talking a little bit about, in essence, uh, some of the dangers uh, in moving, uh, in, in terms of selling your house and moving on and doing something different. And there are lots of very legitimate reasons uh, for moving, so <laughs> don't misunderstand. But here, here again, it really depends on your circumstances. But, you know, why uh, do people sell their primary home and move somewhere else? Well, uh, one common reason is a lot of folks will say, well, I don't need this big house anymore. Right. I, you know, I'd rather downsize, although I don't want to leave this community. I love this community. I love my church. I love my neighbors. I just don't want this great big house to take care of, or I don't want to have to keep this yard up anymore. You know, the, and that is a legitimate reason. Um, lots of folks follow their grandchildren. You, you know, their son or daughter moves uh, two states away, and they don't get to see their grandchildren very often. And that's the uh, actually that's the gleam in their eye at this point. <laughs> so a lot of times, grandparents will um, will move to where their grandchildren are. Uh, I, notice I don't say children. No, you know, no, they're, no. They're just sort of, uh, they're okay to be around. But yeah. the grandchildren, that, now that's important. They had 18 years with the children. <laughs> now let's start that over with the grandchildren. Sure. So, that I mean, is that a legitimate reason? Absolutely it's a legitimate reason. And sometimes um, for some uh, families it, it's important uh, they even move in with uh, one of their children uh, because it's a safe environment uh, and that's helpful too. So there are a lot of, lot of good reasons. So, but there are issues surrounding it that are very, very important. So let's first talk about the, the um, initial reason. My house is too big or I don't want to keep it up anymore. Well, if you want to stay in the same 
area. In other words, you're not moving uh, because of grandchildren or uh, because you want to pay off your mortgage and then buy something with cash so that it's it's paid off, that sort of thing. Um, well, the first of all, that you have to realize that for most people, it's actually less expensive to stay put because moving is an expensive proposition. You know, you, anybody who, who's ever sold a house, and a lot of homeowners haven't sold a house in, you know, 35 years, mm-hmm. and they've forgotten that it's a lot of trouble to sell a house. You know, you have the realtors will come in and say, oh, this has to be painted. Oh, this carpet has to be replaced. Oh, by the way, you've got a problem with your roof. You better have that replaced too. Uh, we want to make this a show place so that somebody will want to buy it you know, right Right. away. So the bottom line is, is that a lot of times selling your house means an awful lot of maintenance has to be done um, to get the house ready to sell. And guess what? That's expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's um, more of an expensive proposition than people realize. Or it's like, ah, we want to sell it as is. But obviously, if you do that, then you're going to have to take a lower price than what your property may be worth. But there are other expenses in moving as well. And a lot of folks don't think about it. But oftentimes, when you downsize, your old furniture doesn't fit your new uh, pad. So uh, in essence, uh, you have to end up buying some, if not a lot, of new furniture. And then a, a new place almost always uh, isn't you, so you have to redecorate. And that can mean new curtains and new drapes and new window, whatever they call them. Uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, and sometimes new carpet here or a new rug there. Um, uh, you know, the bottom line is, is that, uh, that can be expensive. So the question is, is it worth it to you Mm -hmm. to have to do that? Uh, and the answer may be yes, and it may be no. Uh, So, because, uh, it may be that you need more help in management of the house. In other words, you need somebody that's contracted to cut your, uh, yard and keep your yard up every, um, you know, as as appropriate, obviously more in the summer than in the winter. Um, uh, or uh, you need a housekeeper that comes in and makes sure everything's clean. But and and those are obviously added costs. But when you think about the overall cost of moving uh, and looking at life expectancy and things like that, oftentimes those costs are actually much much less than uh, what you would, you know, suffer in terms of selling and having to redo a a different place. So that's just one thing. All right. Now, let's talk about uh, some of the other issues. Well, let's say that you're not ready to move into a retirement um, uh, facility, you know, like an independent living community or something like that. you're not ready to go to a continuing care community, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so you'd rather purchase a senior housing development type of community. And there's some nice ones out there. Um, and in other words, it's a 55 and older type 
community. Mm-hmm. So you're around a lot of folks that are close to your age and there's social activities and there's a swimming pool and a clubhouse and all the dwellings are, are ranch style dre- uh, dwellings that uh, give you a better leg up as it relates to aging in place, things like that. Well, this is where you have to be careful, where you are purchasing a property. You know, obviously, if you're renting a property, that's a totally different situation. And and sometimes that's really a good idea for seniors is to simply rent. Uh, but um, after they've sold their house, that mm-hmm. is. Um, so um, l- let's um, – l- uh, here's, here's the issue. Um, this is where it can be dangerous because one of the things to look at is does the homeowners association allow – renters. Some don't. So if you can't rent your the place that you have purchased uh, because there's a rule against it that can be enforced, that really, in a lot of ways, you know, some people think it upgrades the value of your property. Well, it really limits what you can do with your property. And let's say that you want to um, spend time away uh, and you can't rent it. So now it's a loss, Now, mm-hmm. particularly if there's a mortgage. So if um, now if you pay cash for it, then you don't have to worry about somebody coming in and foreclosing if, if it can't be paid in the future. But the other thing to look out for is has the developer fully built out? Have all the units been sold? Is it fully occupied? Because guess what? If it's not, if they're still building, if it's a brand new place and you buy into it uh, and then you die, can your, will your family be able to sell the property? And the answer is not really, not without taking a pretty substantial loss because guess what? They're competing against brand new places that right. are beautiful and, and haven't been lived in before uh, and you're trying to – sell your place for approximately the same amount of money, and it, it's not going to happen. Um, and if you can't rent the place, then you're really out of luck. And if there's a mortgage to pay and homeowners dues to pay, then your family can really be in trouble. In fact, I had that very thing happen uh, just recently where not only was the family not able to rent, they couldn't sell it at any price uh, and and the bottom line is is the entire estate was at risk uh, because of this poorly purchased property, if you will. And so um, and and that's where they didn't have an asset protection trust in place for everything else. If they had done, you know, and that this is a time when asset protection uh, actually should come to the forefront. Okay, you know, we're in our senior years. Um, uh, you know, what What do we want to protect and what do we want to continue to control? Um, well, to the degree, depending on the choices you make, sometimes placing property into an asset protection trust can be extremely helpful to make sure that your estate is protected uh, for the benefit uh, of either your spouse or for, or for your children and grandchildren. So that can be really helpful, too. Yeah, that's some great advice and some planning that everyone needs to do if you have to make a major decision like that. Quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong. Good morning to you. We are uh, we, we just wrapped up a conversation, Bill, on uh, moving in retirement. And now we're going to pivot a little bit and talk about retirements, retirement accounts and distributions. So I'm, well, that, that's I'm ready right. to hear. I'm ready yeah, to learn, Bill. Absolutely. And then, well, this is a big pivot, if you will, a completely different topic. But it's certainly timely because, <coughs> excuse me, this time of year, uh, uh, people typically have, have just received their minimum required distribution. Um, uh, in other words, everyone who is, uh, has a retirement account and they've reached the magic age of 70 and a half, uh, they must take a distribution. If they fail to take the distribution, there's a 50% penalty on what they haven't taken. So that's even worse than taking your distribution. <laughs> uh, but even if you don't want your distribution, you have to take it. Now, you can take distributions without any penalty at all as early as 59 and a half. And actually, t- t- I will surprise you. Number one, there are a lot of folks who should, in fact, consider taking their, some of their retirement accounts as, as distributions, even when it's not required, uh, particularly if they're retired. In other words, uh, for most people, and this is where an advisor can help a whole lot, for most people, it's far better if you have a large enough retirement account to use your retirement account after you've retired, in other words, you're not working anymore, rather than taking your Social Security. Because in, um, in, in most people think, oh, I just take my Social Security. But that's almost always a huge financial mistake for folks to make. Uh, if you run the numbers, you actually make more money by using your retirement account and delaying receiving your Social Security at least to your full retirement age. But for most people, it's all the way to age 70. And the only reason in my book, to take Social Security early is because you're either very sick and you know that your life expectancy is short or you're starving. You have no money to live on. You're retired and you have no savings and there's no food in the refrigerator <laughs> or in the cabinet. So yeah. uh, that's, that is a good reason for taking Social Security. But for everyone else, and that's most of us, we should delay Social Security. There's no... Well, let me put it this way. There's no investment in the world that can guarantee you an 8% increase on your money every year. And that's what Social Security does. For every year you delay, there's an 8% guaranteed increase. So it's a pretty good way to save money. That's a good investment. All right. So it's – and – by you, if you have to use your retirement account rather than taking Social Security, that those numbers almost always work out to significantly improve where your retirement income is higher and your taxes are lower, your income taxes are lower because of having done that. So it's, it's a pretty good play on your money uh, to, to do it that way. But let's go back to retirement account distributions. Did you know that your retirement account required minimum distribution is not determined this time of year? In other words, they pay it out this time of year, normally right. in late November, early December. 
But when do you think that your the amount is actually determined? Oh, I would say uh, that a formula already exists somewhere, right? Well, it's actually determined, um, well, I, I would say January 1st, except nobody's open on New Year's Day. <laughs> January 2nd. <laughs> but basically, uh, last day of last year, because what they do is they look at the amount in your retirement account at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and then they know what your age is. And the percentage is based on your age. But what a lot of folks don't realize is the fact that the amount of the distribution is not determined on what's in your account in November, December. It's determined what's in your account on the last day of December of the previous year. Oh, wow. You see. Yeah. Now, why is that important? I mean, not that you can do much about it, but <laughs> but it's important because the per, the amount of money as a percentage will reflect whether you've had a gain or loss in in the year. Let let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a hundred thousand dollars in your re- retirement account in, uh, in the last of December last year. And that the percentage distribution that you must take this year because of your age is 4%. Well, 4% of $100,000 is $4,000, right? Right. Okay. Now, what happens, let's say that you've had a bad year, and I'll, I'll just make it a really bad year and say that your retirement account loses uh, 50%. So instead of $100,000, you are now at $50,000, right? Right. Now, obviously, most people don't lose that much in one year, although some of us have had that happen, you know, back in 2007. (laughs) Okay. So how much is your retirement distribution now? Uh, It's still the 4,000, right? Right. So is 4,000 a bigger percentage of (laughs) 50,000 than 100,000? A lot bigger. Well, that's the whole point. So the bottom line is, is bec- uh, it, it just makes it that much more important for retirees not to lose money in their retirement account. Well, there's another big reason not to lose money in their retirement account, too, and that is they don't get any of the tax advantage when you don't make money. You know, deferral or tax deferral doesn't help you one bit if you're not making money. <laughs> you know, because they're only deferring the gains. Right. You know, uh, you are just as well off with your money in a mattress if if your <laughs> money is actually not making money. Okay. And and most retirement accounts. The good news, particularly for those who are in their seventies, is that it, with good financial advice, your retirement accounts will almost always make more money than the distribution that's required. It's Normally, it doesn't really push over that curve until you're in your 80s, and particularly mid to late 80s is mm-hmm. when the percentages uh, get to be high enough to where uh, you're actually diminishing your retirement accounts at that point. Uh, but how that's done is is really important. And I know we have to take a break, but most of my clients don't really know the difference between a 401k 
uh, and an IRA. And I, I want to explain that when we come back. We'll do just that. We'll go over that in detail. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. Bill, uh, just before the break, we were talking about uh, getting into the differences between IRAs and 401ks, and uh, there's a pretty big difference between them, but a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, could could stand to learn and gain from knowing exactly what the difference between the two are. Well, first of all, anybody can set up an IRA. Uh, If you have earned income, then you can defer some of that income by contributing it to an IRA. Um, An IRA means individual retirement account, and we're all individuals. So guess what? We can do that. (laughs) A 401k, and there are other – a number of other employer-sponsored retirement accounts, but the 401k is the biggie. Uh, and that the difference is that's not one you can set up yourself. That is one that is set up by your employer. Now, um, th- there's some big differences between a 401k and an IRA. And quite frankly, and a lot of folks don't realize it, but a 401k is far more limited than an IRA in many, many ways. And so let's talk about that. Uh, now, Anyone who has an employer-sponsored plan where the employer is contributing to that plan. Now, there's no requirement for an employer to contribute to a 401k plan that they have established, but they have to treat everybody equally. In other words, they can't contribute to, say, the owner's 401k and not contribute the same amount to uh, every employee that the uh, a law, ERISA, which a 401k is based upon, requires that everybody be treated the same. Uh, now, m- most employers that actually uh, contribute, uh, contribute in an amount of three or four percent of wages. Uh, and they will match what the employee contributes. Uh, now, I believe with 401k, you can act, an employer can match all the way up to 6%, but I don't see many plans that actually are that generous. But, uh, and this is sort of no-brainer stuff, an employee should always contribute at least as much to the plan that the employer matches. Otherwise, they're taking, in, in essence, a pay cut mm-hmm. because it's automatic money. It's, it is absolutely crazy not to do that. Plus, people need to be saving for retirement. So the more you save, and in fact, let's say the employer contributes 3%, and so the employee wisely uh, contributes 3%. Well, that's only 6%. And an, an awful lot of economists are saying that people need to be contributing really around 10% to be able to save enough money to retire on. So, And those numbers um, are really tough to get to, but that's what re- people really need to be doing because pensions are going away 
and you're on your own, and people are living longer than than the old life expectancy tables, and so you know you can't expect to die young. I mean, that's uh, and nobody wants to outlive their money. So saving is an important part of life. Um, but should you actually contribute more to your employer's 401k than what they match? And that answer is probably not. Uh, but you need if if you're uh, going to save more, then you probably should uh, open an IRA and contribute the additional money to the IRA. Or if you're still in a very low tax bracket, even a Roth IRA is wonderful if you're in a low tax bracket. The problem with Roths is most people never contribute to them until they're in their highest tax bracket, and that's the time you don't want to mm-hmm. really uh, do anything with a Roth, um, or at least not for your own retirement. If you're doing it f- so that you can leave it to your children or grandchildren, that's a different thing. But it costs you more uh, to in, in terms of, of um, a Roth. The best time to start a Roth, by the way, is when you're extremely young. You know, you've just started working and or you have a paper route or or whatever. But, you know, you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and you're not making much money. Maybe you've only made 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 or $5,000 in that particular year. You're still a student, you're just working part-time, whatever. Uh, actually, that's the very best time uh, you can contribute every penny to a Roth. Now, nobody that that's that's young will do that. So, guess what? This is where the parent or grandparent has to step in and help the children establish Roth accounts because there's no better financial time to establish a Roth than uh, when a person is at a zero tax bracket. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's when a Christmas gift to your ch- your children or grandchildren can be really uh, special, but it has to, you know, if it particularly if it's in a Roth, it's just that people will look at you and sort of like retirement, really? <laughs> Come on, granddad. <laughs> How about an Xbox? <laughs> but I'm trying to give people some really good advice. So here we go. Um <laughs> Okay, so what are the here's the, some of the problems with 401k plans. Number 1, you only get to pick the investments that the employer has selected. And typically employers are not shrewd about what the choices are. And some of the plans have very limited choices in terms of what investments you can make. And so for many many employees um the investment options just are not particularly good, whereas you have the entire world of investments with an IRA. Um, you can just do so much more with an IRA plan than you can with a 401k plan. So that's a biggie. Uh, but the other thing with 401ks, particularly for those who are older and they're thinking, well, my investment advisor said something about converting my 401k over to an IRA. I'm retired now. I'm no longer working uh, for the company. Um, but it's just easy to keep it where it's at. Well, first of all, most employees don't pay attention uh, as they should to the investments inside their 401k. And it's really important for employees to do that while they're working and after they've retired. But yes, both accounts, both 401ks and IRAs, do have required minimum distributions. 
when you're 70 and a half and older. Uh, there, there is an, uh, now, if you're still working at the same company where your 401k is established, you actually don't, you can defer. You don't have to take minimum required distributions at 70 and a half, but it has to be because you're still working for the company. If you've retired from the company, you have required minimum distributions once you reach 70 and a half. And all other um, retirement accounts uh, have the same required minimum distribution rules. It's just that you don't have the flexibility mm-hmm. uh, of that deferral with any of the other accounts. Um, but here's some biggies. Um, number one, you with a 401k, if you want to change the beneficiaries, like, for instance, you want to leave it to your children or grandchildren rather than your spouse, or you simply want to change it from your children to your grandchildren. Uh, With 401k, you cannot make a beneficiary change without your spouse's consent. They actually have to sign the change form or it's not a valid change form. Some states have the same rules for other accounts, but that's true for all states and all 401k accounts because it's based on ERISA. It's based on that federal law. It's a requirement. Uh, Now, where can that affect you? Well, if you've remarried and you don't have a prenuptial agreement, then you can get caught not being able to leave that account to your children. You know, in other words, um, you may still have your deceased spouse uh, as the beneficiary on there. Uh, and you can't make a change, and your new spouse may not let you make it to your children because your new spouse may want that for themselves. So that is a limitation. Now, North Carolina, fortunately, does not have that rule. You know, it's your account. You can change the beneficiary in an IRA without any problem at all and without your spouse's consent. Now, some states do have the spousal consent rule, Mm Uh, but North Carolina does not. So that's um, a, an advantage. Okay, now, um, the other biggie is that you can always stretch an IRA. Now, you probably are thinking, well, what does that mean? A stretch basically is a process on how you take your your distributions. And a stretch basically means that you take minimum distributions every year. And a lot of seniors, that's exactly what they do. But when a child inherits it, they don't, they're not limited. And so oftentimes they'll take it all out at once and then have a huge tax liability and go, oh my God, I can't take my, pay, can't pay my taxes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are a lot of issues right there. And a lot of parents would prefer that their children uh, stretch their IRAs for their own retirement purposes, but oftentimes people don't. Uh, 401ks do not necessarily allow you to stretch them. Oftentimes, the custodial agreement with a 401k requires a lump sum payout when you die, or it requires what we call a five-year payout when you die. In other words, they don't allow you to to keep it uh, for your lifetime and stretch the distributions over your lifetime. That's a huge limitation for 401ks. Uh, And 
uh, quite frankly, because of the limitation on the investments in 401ks, typically when you retire, it is far better to move it over to an IRA where you know you can do things with it and have more options available to you in terms of how you invest um, your, your retirement money, which is so important to you. Very good. We'll continue our discussion in just a bit. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. You can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. If you have a question about anything that you hear today on the program uh, or maybe you have a situation and you think this any of the discussions that we're talking about apply to you, head on over to WGALaw.com and see uh, what Bill and his team can do to help you. Bill, we're having a discussion on the differences between IRAs and 401ks, and I, I know we didn't finish that up, so let's jump right back in. Okay. Well, um, uh, one of the biggies, uh, again, uh, depending on where you live, uh, has to do with asset protection. Now, uh, some folks don't realize it, but your 401k is a protected asset. Now, what that means is your creditors cannot take that away from you. So hopefully none of you are in trouble with your creditors, but (laughs) sometimes people have bad luck. Uh, and they lose their home, and they sometimes their creditors come after them and have a judgment against them and things like that. Well, the bottom line is a creditor cannot take your 401k away from you. You go bankrupt, your 401k is a protected asset under federal law. So that's law across the country, no matter where you live. Now, if you have an IRA then it depends on where you live as to whether it's a protected asset. It's not protected under ERISA. It's not protected under federal law. Actually, this was litigated, and it went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court to make that determination that your IRA is not protected under federal law from creditors or from bankruptcies. Uh, However, state law can protect it, and those of us who are fortunate enough to live in the great state of North Carolina have protected IRAs as well. But that is not true in many, many other states. But there's several different kinds of protection, and one is protection from your creditors. Now, North Carolina law and federal law does not protect you from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> not many laws do. Well, and what I mean by that is most seniors uh, realize that they don't want to take uh, more than they need because they don't want the extra income tax. But when it goes to the children or grandchildren, some of our children or grandchildren are not quite as smart as we are. Okay. Understand. And oftentimes they have needs that are different from ours, uh, or more likely wants that Mm -hmm. are different from ours. And they may not realize that when they take that distribution that it's a taxable event and can significantly impact their tax situation. 
um, and, and, you know, I have seen it where uh, a beneficiary will take it all out at once. And there's generally a 20% withholding federal, but no withholding state. And oftentimes that distribution will push someone into a 25% or a 28% tax bracket. And so after they've spent the money at the end of the year when they file their income tax return, they owe both federal and state taxes and there's no money to pay it. And that's a really sad situation. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is oftentimes we uh, – now, there are other situations too where a beneficiary, child, grandchild, they're not good with money or they're a spendthrift. They, they, you know, a nickel burns a hole in their pocket uh, or – uh, it may be that they have other issues that go beyond the norm, uh, like an issue with alcohol or an issue with drugs or an issue with gambling or other issues where they just don't think right about money. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, what can we do to what can we put in place to protect them from themselves? Um, and of course, some of those folks have creditor issues too. Um, and so, uh, you can do a couple things because even if you live in North Carolina, your children or grandchildren may not live in North Carolina or they could move out of North Carolina at any time. So you can do a couple things. Number one, and probably the best way to do it, is through an IRA trust. And you can do that through your revocable trust agreement. You can also do a separate IRA trust. For really large retirement accounts, the separate IRA trust is really the best way to go. And there are also uh, a few products out there um, uh, that I don't necessarily like to talk about, but there are a few out there that have fiduciary contracts that um, that parents can enter into for the beneficiary distributions to be stretched over many years. Uh, now, that's an uncommon thing. You don't see it, but the, they are out there. But anybody can use an IRA trust uh, if they have a – now, I wouldn't do it with a small IRA account, but with, um, with large IRA accounts, then the trust can be very, very helpful to, to the family. Very good. Now, Bill, I got a question for you. We uh, Last segment, we talked about uh, you know maybe considering after you retire – changing your 401k into an IRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if you're in a situation where, you know, you haven't quite retired yet? Can you go back and forth between the two? I know obviously the 401k is done through the company, but let's say uh, you don't have an employer match and you have a, a 401k and you decide, I want an IRA. Should you, do you have to wait until retirement to make that switch? Uh, it depends. Um, for instance, um, I mean, you can always uh, supplement any retirement plan into an IRA. But, you know, a lot of folks move from one employer to another. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you move, I mean, in other words, if you're still working for the company, your ability to take your 401k out might be limited. Okay. But to the degree that you've worked for other companies and you have 401ks from those companies, you can always switch those into an IRA. Very good. So that's that's not uh, a, a problem. It really isn't. 
Uh, we're uh, about to take a, a little break here, but I want to remind everyone that you can still catch more Bill every Sunday morning on the CW22 at 8 a.m. with his television show, Money Secrets. And Bill, this is a little bit different from what we do here every Saturday morning, but uh, a good chance for people to learn some tips about what to do with their money. Yep, and that's 8 o'clock uh, Sunday mornings. Um and that, it's just another a venue to be able to help folks with some issues that uh, can be helpful to them. So, you know, it's, if, if you don't uh, get up early on, on Sunday mornings, uh, I can appreciate that. But you can always <laughs> record it. Or if you're getting ready for church, uh, again, you know, that's another way you can, you can record the show and, and, uh, and get a little more tidbit here and there that might be helpful to you. That's right. Set your DVR. It's a good thing to do. Sunday mornings at 8 on the CW22. It's Money Secrets with Bill. You're listening to Asset Protection Today, and this is News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill at wgalaw.com. That's wgalaw.com. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. We've been having a, a good discussion here today, Bill. We've talked all about uh, moving in retirement, mm-hmm. uh, retirement accounts and distributions, 401ks and IRAs, but there's uh, there's still more that we can teach people there, today. There is. And next week, uh, we'll talk more about asset protection trusts, which are irrevocable trusts, and funding them mm-hmm. and how that works. Uh, but the biggest mistake I see with trusts for most families, and uh, and generally most families are using what's called a revocable trust, which is very easy. It's a great planning tool is they don't put their property into the trust. They don't realize that they're getting no benefit of that trust unless they put most or all of their property into their trust. So I really want to focus on that next week. It's really important. And you do revocable trusts a little differently than you do asset protection trusts in terms of how you fund them and what property you fund and what property you don't put in to certain types of, of trust. You know, uh, that's where people need help is, is what do I fund and how do I do it and what where do I put it? You know, that kind of thing. But it's always, always, always important with any kind of trust plan that you understand what you're putting into the trust and what you're keeping out. The way you own title to your property is the key to good estate planning. And that's true whether you have a trust or not. Yeah, it is. And if you uh, if you need some help with that, hey, head on over to WGALaw.com and uh, get up with Bill and get some help because uh, he's the guy. He knows how to do it. Uh, don't forget, you can catch Bill Sunday morning. That's tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on the CW22 with Money Secrets. You can also catch us same time next week, every Saturday morning at 11 here with Asset Protection Today. On behalf of Bill, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week for Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF. Mm-hmm.